Hello, and welcome to another engaging episode of Cyber Speaks Live, the InfoSec podcast recorded in front of a live online audience, giving you, the community, a voice that can be heard around the world. And now it's time for your host, Duncan Macklin. Hi, everyone. My name is Duncan Macklin. I am InfoSec War on Twitter. And once again, we come to you for an engaging episode of Cyber Speaks Live. I have been waiting for, uh, well, maybe weeks or even months to be able to get this particular individual on our show to be able to talk about something that I'm very passionate about is a data privacy and protection advocate. Today's guest is M.A. Taylor. He is the director of the critically acclaimed documentary film, The Creepy Line. And within this film, he basically exposes uh, some of the backhanded and under the table dealings of both Facebook and Google and how these organizations are manipulating their way into every facet of our daily lives and manipulating us as individuals. And when it comes to data protection and data privacy, these are topics that as information security professionals and cyber sec pros that you know, our, we're deeply passionate about. This is what our charter is. It is our mission to protect the information of the organizations that we represent. And as such, you know, it's kind of that dog fooding process where we're meant to eat our own dog food. So if I'm not able to protect the integrity and when I say the term integrity, I'm going back to the CIA triad, you know, confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Uh, if we're not able to protect the integrity of our own data when it comes to things like Facebook and Google, how do we expect to be able to protect the integrity of the data of the organizations that we're working for? And more importantly, if we are allowing these sites and services to come inside of our organization, is that in turn compromising the CIA triad for our own organizations as well? So with that said, I want to introduce to everyone M.A. Taylor Matthew Thank you for coming on the show. It's a pleasure to have you here, sir. Um, Great. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm super glad to be here today. Well, it's our pleasure. Absolutely. So why don't we just open it up with a, a brief, brief, excuse me, background about you as a person. Um, I understand you have a pretty unique background when it comes to the arts and and whatnot. Do you want to just kind of give us the elevator pitch of who Matthew Taylor is and where you come sure. from? Sure. I have a background in arts and technology. Uh, I had a real interest in the early two, late 90s, early 2000s about the combination of the two things as code as art um, and what these new systems would do. So I'm also a filmmaker. Uh, that's my day job. And so mostly documentaries, I did commercials, short films, some music videos and things like that. But I had really kind of focused my attention in on documentary filmmaking uh, for a number of reasons. It's very interesting. You get to meet a lot of interesting people. You tell these really unique stories. Uh, and, and, you know, with the rise of the Internet and the rise of streaming, the documentary really made a big comeback with services like Netflix, um, making the documentary premiere again. And so. You know, I was able to focus all these interests I had from art to technology uh, and documentaries into making something like The Creepy Line uh, to kind of talk about the state of, of the world, where it's going and, and you know, how it's going to affect us. Uh, and so, yeah, again, you know, my background is also in, in, a, in the theory of aesthetics. So that also kind of factors in to the making of these projects. So that's that's my background in a nutshell. Well, thank you for that. So let's talk about the name, 
the creepy line. Uh, you know, I've been pushing this film out there on Twitter and LinkedIn for quite some time now. And actually, it was pretty life-changing for me. And we're going to get into that in, in just a little bit. But why did you choose the particular name, The Creepy Line? Sounds kind of nefarious. Well, well it's funny because The Creepy Line actually comes uh, from Eric Schmidt, the former CEO of Google. And in 2010, he was doing a press conference, and he said the Google policy is to go right up to the creepy line but not cross it. And we found that to be a very bizarre choice of words because there's no connotation in which creepy is positive. Um, so, so we felt that this was very, you know, the, it, it describes Google's policies um, to the T because we think it's not just that they go up to the creepy line, they cross the creepy line every day and they redefine where that line is and they've been doing it for nearly the, the duration of their existence. And so we felt that the creepy line, I mean, this is, this is essentially the world we're living in. Um, these people are creeping around and they're doing things that are, that are, um, you know, outside of the public's awareness and so on. Yeah. I find it particularly disturbing for any company executive to say, yeah, let's get right up to this creepy line. And, the fact that he chose that particular word, and this is discussed in the documentary, right? Yeah, that, yeah. You know, th that particular word is just creepy in itself. You know, nobody wants to be creepy. Nobody wants to be viewed as creepy. And yet here is the Google CEO sitting on a panel or on a stage. I can't tell exactly what the particular... Uh, environment was but for him to say that you know we're going to push right up to creepy we're not going to cross over but we're going to be damn close to being as creepy as we can get and not cross over so what defines creepy behavior of a company like Google or Facebook or, you know, let's throw any of the other social media platforms in there, but particularly these two, what would you define as being creepy behavior of that type of company? Well, it's funny because right now you can define almost everything they do as creepy. You know, I, th I think that there is a relationship between the consumer and these companies that the, the consumer is not aware of. You know, and I like to parse it out. You know, the, the Apple and Microsoft of the world sell products, right? They sell right. Microsoft Office or Windows or iPhones or, or laptops. And look, both of these companies clearly have their issues as well. Uh, but in the realm of talking about creepy behavior, this consumer product relationship is very important because this is something that distinctly applies to Google and Facebook. So if I don't like the iPhone, then I don't have to buy it and, and Apple will acquiesce to the market uh, with Google and Facebook you are actually the product right and so they have no accountability to you because they've collected your data they've moved your data around they've sold it to I mean you know sure there's advertisers but there's a lot of other people out there that would like this data and they have basically created the world's largest surveillance platforms that is they don't actually make anything they, they sell you and so the idea of what defines creepy, well, I mean, in some way that's very personal because, you know, people can be creeped out by lots of things. Um, but the fact that they're listening, they're watching, they're collecting, that is, that's an aspect that is creepy in of itself. But the big one that really kind of puts them over the edge is when they use your own data against you to manipulate you, to get you to do things. And right. that is really what this film is about. Because look, we have entered into a deal with the devil here, right? I got the free Gmail, I got the free G, uh, you know, Google Maps, um, but I never really understood the cost of what free really was. But the fact of the matter is that the value they get from me using their platform is infinitely more value than I get from using their platform. And once I'm hooked into their platform or my business is hooked into their platform or my website is on Google Analytics, they then have the power to intricately shift and nudge my behavior in any direction they want to the point where it starts borderlining on totalitarian. 
And so I think the creepy, the creepy aspects are right now it's within the machinery itself. It's designed to surveil and manipulate without you knowing, you know, it's not like advertising, classic advertising. Say, oh, advertising is subliminal. It pushes you this way. At least I see it and I have the choice to reject it. These systems right. are designed to operate invisibly, to nudge mm-hmm. you, your behavior in certain ways. And I think it gives them an inordinate amount of power since you can't, uh, you can't get away from them. And, you know, if, like if a business gets off of Google, they just don't exist. So I think right. that's kind of the aspect of creepy we're dealing with now. Uh- and I completely agree with you wholeheartedly. So let's let's go back to the early days of Google, right? So in their in their beginnings, and I was there in part of this, right? So I've been in this industry for 25 years, and I remember the the actual moment that I very first saw the Google logo on a computer screen, and it was. One of the guys that I was working with at a regional bank, he was like the sharpest guy in our group. And our group was facilitating the migration from Novell to, you know, Windows NT, uh, just to kind of give you a perspective of how long ago we're talking. So I want to say it was back in 98 that I first saw that. And back then it was very a very different experience to see a search engine that had nothing there except for Mm -hmm. that little search. It was profoundly different from the Alta Vista, the Yahoo's where everything was advertisement right there in your face, kind of like what you were talking about. Right. And you could know what was going on, how, you know, Alta Vista in, Yahoo were making their money off of search. They were crawling the internet, they were aggregating all that data, and then they gave you a portal to be able to get into it through their search capabilities. But you had to pay for it with all the ads that were displayed on the homepage and in the search results and everything else. And all of a sudden comes this darling that says no. You know, let's just simplify everything. Get rid of all that stuff. Here's your search world. And it was super clean, a ridiculously designed logo in a search text box with search and feeling lucky, you know? Where we've come to today is completely different. But back then, I think they called it the back rub algorithm, right? Yeah. Back yep. That yeah, I mean, in itself, I mean, their naming conventions are not the smartest in the world, right? <laughs> so, you know, the back rub name in itself says, you know, you rub my back, I'll rub yours. Talk about the algorithm, if you don't mind. Uh, I, I think you have some tremendous insights into exactly what's going on there and some of the bias uh, results that we see. Can you talk about the algorithm and how that bias plays into it and why that simple appearing search uh, front end isn't as simple as it may seem on the back end? Absolutely. Look, I, I think it's like this. Google's greatest weapon is the illusion of trust. That is what you saw in 1998, is what we all saw. We saw simplicity, cleanness. This was a, this showed us that this is a platform you could trust because you're not being manipulated. That, that's the message that they want to push. I mean, this is also overall why Google generally likes to stay out of the press. I mean, of course, Facebook is getting pounded right now by the government, by the media. Um, and that's because because they're they need to you you cannot use Facebook, but you cannot not use Google. So hence they don't have to and, have to be so aggressive, you know. And it's not so, just our government either. You know, they're no, under no, I mean, heavy scrutiny with the EU right now as well. Yes, we were actually in Berlin talking to members of their parliament and members of the EU about what they're doing. What they're doing is very different than what we're doing. But but again, it's this is it's it's the, the trust is part of the manipulation 
because it is, think of it as, as a narrative, right? You start off with google.com and up comes that beautiful page, right? And I need to find, uh, I, you know, I need to, you know, where am I going to buy my, my glasses? And I looked that up in Google. And the next, the next layer, right, is the suggestions. And the suggestions are where a majority of this manipulation is actually happening. Because those suggestions that come down as I type, right, those things can steer my, my opinion wherever Google would like me to go, right? And the thing is, is that the trust factor is, is built in the search engine because most of the time you're looking for things that have definitive answers. The example we use in the creepy line is, what is the capital of Kansas? If I search for that in Google, you know, Topeka comes back. That's the answer. And so what happens is over time, you are being conditioned to trust this system because when you look for facts, most of the time it returns facts. But if you ask the engine something that does not have a definitive fact, right, this is where the bias has to kick it, right? And there's two right. things that engine has to do when I ask it, where are the best glasses? Or how about this? Where's the best restaurant? It has to do two things. It has to make a decision out of this to look at all these billions of websites and it has to grab, you know, 10 of them, let's say, and then it has to put them in an order. Those are two biased decisions that the search engine makes in order to give you your returns. So, and this is it, Ma Ma Matthew, yeah, mm -hmm. let me just jump in here for the listening audience. Before Matthew continues, it's really important to point out that what he's talking about with these uh, biases, and particularly in the context of Google, where number one, Google owns 90% of global search, right? I mean, that's yeah. a, a fact that we have from the film Absolutely. and there's data to support it. Furthermore, and I'm pulling all this information directly from your film. So thank you for getting the facts and getting them right. Secondly, yeah. <laughs> secondly is 40% of all those searches are local. So when you're yeah. searching for your kids' doctors, your kids' dentists, where to take them for uh, dinner, or you know anything about your life and your bubble of existence, you know, forty percent of all the searches that Google runs are local based. So now we're talking about a real potential bias of even the world, the physical world around you. So just keep yeah. that in mind, folks, when Matthew continues on with this explanation. So I'll turn it back over to you. Sorry. Yeah. And look, the, these two biases I'm talking about, the, the problem is people say, oh, the word bias is bad. It's not bad. You know, you do want the engine to do these things, right? Because if it, if it just pulled random things it would be worthless yeah so you, i mean that's it, why we have the search engine if the bias is there to you know elevate a particular service or or uh business in your local area based off of non-biased reviews right uh then that yeah, would mean, become a good bias so yeah you're yeah. absolutely right we need some some level of bias but it should be a visible bias of some capacity in my mindset but i'll let you continue on and see what your thoughts are there no absolutely i mean so so think of it this way if i ask it what's the best restaurant and it makes those two decisions it says hey we're going to grab these pages that's the first decision and then and then decision number two is we're going to put them in this order what it means is that we are conditioned to think going back to this idea of Google's truth model, we're conditioned to think the thing at the top is true, right? That's what we're conditioned to. Because remember, when I did all of the searches before for facts and things, the best thing came at the top, like almost pretty much every time. And so Google has this system that conditions us. It's a, it's a list component that conditions us. Because look, when you have a list, you typically remember the thing at the top. You typically think the thing at the top is better. So they are introducing all of these, these elements to basically build our trust. 
And so the question comes is when you ask Google something that there's no absolute answer, how does it actually make those decisions, right? And so the thing is, again, if I ask it, what's the best restaurant? There's no answer for that. I live in New York City. We have 25,000 restaurants. So what's the best restaurant? Google at some point is going to have to make a choice and it's in the algorithm and they say, Oh, the algorithm doesn't do that. It does. It just, it just works the way it works, but that's not entirely true. I mean, when you write code, or you write algorithms, your biases are, are built into these, these, what are they are essentially is perception mapping machines, right? These are, you're sitting there mapping the world through your, through your worldview. So, you know, you can sit there and say, how do you determine that the Thai restaurant better than the Japanese restaurant is better than the Italian restaurant? You know, is it based on ratings? You know, so, so it's all built into this algorithm to make these decisions. And so Google tends to put things in orders that will benefit ultimately them. Now, look, I'm not saying it doesn't benefit you as well, because again, we joke that we had to use Google to make this movie. It is the way you search things. It's the way you find things. If I have to go somewhere, you know, you can, these are systems, they work. We're not saying they don't work. We're not saying that, that anything is malfunctioning with these systems. In fact, they work so well, that's what we're afraid of. Um, but again, this truth allows them to nudge your opinions without thinking because they've conditioned you to think that they are the arbiters of truth. And this becomes very, very dangerous once you enter into the world of say politics, right? Or, or yeah. moral issues or ethical issues. Because the thing is, is that if I ask the search engine, what's the best candidate? Remember, it has to do those two things. It has to pick one and somebody has to be at the top. So you don't really get a transparent understanding of how they're doing this um, or why they're doing this or what their motives are. And unfortunately, most people just think, well, look, the search engine, clearly it has, has no bias and it put this thing at the top and everything that comes back is always true. So clearly this is the thing I should do. And that is where the manipulation comes and the algorithm is behind there making these decisions. And by Google's own admission, which is also in the film, they change the algorithm up to at least twice a day. So it's not like they set it and forget it. They're constantly tweaking. I mean, look, if you use YouTube and you are a savvy YouTube user, which is also owned by Google, by the way, you can make videos and use keywords and do various things to figure out how they've shifted the algorithm to push your video further. And some of these YouTube influencers and, and other people like that are very savvy at saying, oh, they changed the algorithm. So if I use these things, the video won't trend as hard this way or trend as hard that way. So the human hands are on the algorithm, which means the bias of those human hands is on the algorithm, whether they say it or not. You're absolutely correct. And I think we see that even potentially more so on the Facebook side. And I do want to get to Facebook before. But before we do, you made an interesting comment about having to use Google to produce this movie. Is that true, though? I mean, we have alternatives, folks. You, you can live in a Google-free world. It just means altering your state and altering your consciousness. But if you look at things like DuckDuckGo, for example, or... Um, Maybe to the lesser extent of creepy or evil, by the way, for those that are watching in the live feed, you know, do have my evil corp shirt on today. But, uh, you know, we have Bing, we have DuckDuckGo, we have Brave as a browser that is all about, you know, your personal data protection and privacy. So we do have alternatives to Google. Would you agree with that statement or not? I think it's a complicated answer because, for example, Apple Mail sits on Google servers. New York Times sits on Google servers. If you dig way, way, way down, you find that like the people who are investigating Google, their emails are being read by Google. Yahoo references Google's quarantine list. You know, one of the interesting things that so I think about... Can, mm -hmm. can we elaborate on that? Because you're right. 
And the film does go into some detail about who's actually running on the Google platforms for email and talking about journalists and yeah. uh, e even the federal government receiving, you know, some uh, or granting some massive contracts to Google Mail and the Google Docs platform, et cetera. But the University of California situation, right? And mm -hmm. yep. uh, basically Google abusing their access to those students' yeah. emails that were running on Google Mail to the point that we had to sue Google to stop being creepy. Yeah. Stop <laughs> stalking the students' emails. We had to we had to go to the courts and sue the company. And when it ended up going up for legislation, and this is one of the things that I have here, you, you know, for notes, is legislation tilting. You know, yeah. when we look at who some of the biggest lobbyists are in DC and in the state legislations you know it's always google and facebook right well yeah google's the largest lobbyist on the hill i mean they were very proactive getting the ftc investigation shut down in 2011 2012 you know coming directly from the white house they are they are massively integrated in washington dc uh on on every level i mean that's the thing it's like this i, I like to break it down into two eras there's the steve jobs era and there's a post jobs era because in the Steve Jobs era, you know, he wanted to, he clearly said he wanted to destroy Google. They stole his IP. They stole his ideas. Eric Schmidt betrayed him because he's on the board, took the things to the Android. And everybody was suing everybody. And Microsoft was suing Google. And they were in Samsung and this and that. So Steve Jobs dies. And, and we enter a new era where all of a sudden, all the lawsuits are called off. You know, uh, Microsoft drops their lawsuit. And all of a sudden, Bing gets better. And I think that there came a point where these companies, you know, it's kind of like the standard oil idea. It was better to just get along and, and pay the fees back and forth. I think most Google spends $3 billion a year to make, to make Google search the default in Safari on iPhones. That is a better, better way to deal uh, as opposed to suing each other for stealing IP components, right? And so the issue is, you may not use a Google product directly like the Google search engine or, or, or Gmail or Google Maps, but you are using a Google product somewhere, somewhere. So whether it's Google Analytics that's on a website, so you can search, you know, and I can, I can go on these places and I can go to a Google website or I can go to a, to a website and the analytics is there. And I, it's all about touching their product. Right, because when you touch any of their products, that's where they can get you. There are some alternative platforms, Brave, Proton Mail, Signal. Um, but here's the problem, right? When you have a company like Google that is scooping up companies by the boatloads, there's no guarantee. Look, if I'm a developer and I write a piece of software as an alternative and Google comes in and goes, we'll give you 20 million bucks. Okay, let's do this, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, so yeah. you see. I, I think the issue is that they have the financial capability to scoop up products. Exactly. You're right, because data is now the most commoditized item in the world. It was either last year or the year before that data surpassed oil yes. as yeah. the most prized commodity in existence, right? So being Houston-based, I totally get that. I, I know where barrel prices should be sitting, and I, I I know the adjustments and what the auxiliary impacts are of a barrel price dropping by five bucks versus ten. I I get that. So now for me, seeing data be more valuable today than you know gold or oil. Yeah, that, that's mind-blowing because that tells me that data's up for sale and it's oh, going to the highest bidder, you know, absolutely. or whatever. You are for sale. Yeah, you absolutely. You are the product. And like, everything, everything about our lives. And I want to get to this point because I want to leave us some time to talk about Facebook too. But let's talk about the uh, the total 
ecosystem that Google has built, right? So they started off with search and expanded that and got into the whole advertising networks and expanding that. Then they realize, what do we do when folks are away from their computers? Mm -hmm. So they do, you know, devise the Android operating system for mobile devices. Then they were like, okay, we need to get into email. We need to get into, you know, video and all these things. And folks, Google is not doing this to be a good Samaritan and provide no. you all these services for free. The purpose of it is to know every single thing about your life. And that is why they're now into the, you know, smart home devices and everything else. When Google comes up with a product, trust me when I say this folks, trust Matt, Matthew Taylor here, you know, they're doing it to get into your life, to get into what you do on a day-to-day -day basis, hour by hour, minute by minute. They want to be capturing every essence of your existence so that they can sell you as a person. Now, if that doesn't sound like being a slave to the system, I don't know what does. Well, absolutely. I mean, look, Eric Schmidt, I think it was just a couple of years ago, said that Google's goal is to, is to help you um, help determine what you believe. Right. And then because because look, these are all the things we see. Right. These are all the platforms we see. We use them again. They work. You know, I'm not going to say Google doesn't work. I personally, I think a lot of their GUI design is terrible, but like it works. YouTube works. It's great. Um, but they are they have a lot of other projects that they work on that people are not as aware of their AI divisions. They're they're, they're you know, we have they're training AI to learn chess in four hours and beat the, the world grandmasters. They have they have divisions that are, hey, look I mean in, in a weird way this surveillance is moving towards something I mean in some instances some people think it's moving towards training their AI divisions you know by searching and you get billions of searches you know every day and you can sit there and you can train the machine to learn how to how to think and so the question is what is that going towards what is the primary goal and I think you're starting to see some previews of what these companies ultimately think about the state of the 20th century world. And I think you see it actually manifest in say, Facebook Libra, right? Their new pseudo cryptocurrency, right? These things supersede boundaries, they supersede laws, they supersede 20th century nation states. I mean, mm -hmm. these are essentially, these companies are becoming governments, right? They are like the government, but they have none of the inefficiencies and they have no accountability to to the consumer. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, look, they are in, I mean, if you, if you watch the congressional hearings with either Sundar Pichai or, or Zuckerberg or any of these guys, I mean, clearly our government is completely outmatched. They don't know what they're looking at. They don't know what they're talking about. Um, and the regulatory tools of government that we've used in the past for commodities and things like oil will not apply to these companies. You know, they don't apply. They don't, they don't think, in that way, that's it's a very limited scope where people go, oh, well, just find them. Find them what? A billion dollars, five billion dollars. Google's been fined two point seven billion dollars, five point seven billion dollars. That's that's I mean, one point I was at one point five billion. These are multiple fines in the EU and they don't stop. So clearly money doesn't limit them, right? You can't not use the product, so you can't the market will not. No, but we can ban well. their services in country. And I do think that is going to end up becoming the ultimate uh, penalty that we're going to have to be able to have in the arsenal of weapons of defense. And if the EU gets tired of slapping these fines on the organizations and not getting any behavioral change as a result, maybe we do need to start thinking about banning their services in country. So let's flip the script. Let's start talking about Facebook for just a second, right? Because they're the other uh, arbiter in this documentary film. What do you think the problem is with Facebook these days? Uh, you know, obviously they are the 
definitive social media platform with over mm -hmm. a billion users worldwide. It's clearly not going to go away. It's not yeah. a MySpace, you know. Uh, no. Uh, I think it has become too big to fail. So we still have this hashtag movement of, you know, delete Facebook. And after honestly watching your film, that was the last last nail in the coffin for me. And my wife's over here shaking her head saying, yep, that was when. Mm -hmm. And she's about to pull the plug herself. So why is that hashtag movement even in existence? What do you see as being the big problem with Facebook today? I think <clears throat> clearly Google and Facebook are these the, the targets of surveillance and manipulation and doing bad things. But this is where they actually are different. And and the difference between them is, is kind of important. Google is a kind of a utopian company, right? They kind of are, want to make the world in their vision. The problem is what is their vision? And if you're not part of their vision, what happens to you? Number one. With Facebook, though, they are more a traditional kind of evil corporation, right? So they are megalomaniacal in how they their practices because they kind of pioneered this idea of time spent on the platform was valuable, right? Because with Google, you would go search and then I was gone. Like, I'm done. I'm done with Google. I'm going to go do whatever I searched for. Um, whereas Facebook was like, well, look, we want you to come onto the platform and we want you to stay here. And while you're here, that's how we're monetizing you. Right. And it did really shift the entire industry towards this idea of being present on platforms. Right. So that's why, you know, and of course they bought Instagram and they bought WhatsApp. Um, and, and you know, they have a number of other things that are, that are less visible, but those are the big ones. Right. Which is a combined 2.7 billion users. Right, it's an, an insane number of people. Um, and so with Facebook, they had to use more, I would say, aggressive tactics to keep you on the platform. Whereas Google doesn't need to use aggressive platforms to keep you on the platform because it is generally, they're a utility, right? They're not, they're used as something, they're seen as something, it's like Microsoft Office. You know, I'm not in Office because I like being in Office. I'm in Office because I have work to do. And hence, right. I'll be there all day. So, yeah. so, you know, Facebook has to keep you there and they have to, you know, to monetize you. And so their kind of vision is a, is a, I would say in a weird way, whereas I think Google is a worse company, I would say a worse company for the general society. I, say, I think Facebook is a more cruel company. So, for example, in 2017, they want, I mean, it's just a couple of years ago. They, just, they wanted to see what happens if you show depressed teenagers sad stories, right? They, they're conducting experiments, right? Because they are now one of the largest news platforms in the world because billions of people are constantly getting their news from Facebook, which is, again, is a way to keep people on the platform. So they did experiments on people's children, and some of these teens harmed themselves. That is the kind of company that that Facebook is. Google's different than that. They're, that's not their goal. That's not their aim. They have a different, more of a utopian aim. And so in a weird way, Facebook is kind of a, kind of a sadomasochist platform that is constantly conducting psychological engagement to keep you there. Right. And look, Facebook's a lot of fun. You know, it's, it's great. Cause like, you know, you know, your family's there or your friends are there. You can see what they're doing. But those things that come and they show you and they let you see, they are, it's all designed completely to manipulate you. And it's not to say that these platforms didn't start with this grand vision of connecting the world and doing all this cool stuff. Um, and they do that to a large extent. But their motives and what they're drawing out of you and how they're doing it. I mean, this is why, this is why Facebook hires DC firms to, to plant op-eds and things to help tank the opponent's stock. Google doesn't do that kind of stuff. They don't need to. They don't need to do dirty tactics. So Facebook has less of a moral cap and less of an ethical cap on what they'll do to keep you on the platform. And I think that's terrifying. I think it's especially terrifying with, with this Facebook Libra, which I mentioned previously. I think the Facebook Libra may be 
the scariest thing I've ever heard of, this digital currency they're creating. Because again, if 350 million people use the, the dollar, 2.7 billion people use the Facebook platform. And this suddenly shifts the idea of, again, of nation state, of you know, people worry about the Fed, that there will be nothing to worry about when you have Facebook Libra replacing you know, fiat currencies all over the world. So it's, it's, this is the kinds of things they want to do. And the fact of the matter is like, these are companies that are always caught doing bad things. They never come out and go, hey, we made a mistake. They're always caught. They're caught all the time and they want us to trust them. They haven't deserved the trust and they don't deserve to control money. They don't deserve to control, you know, your schedule, your calendar. They don't deserve to control what your kids see. They haven't earned that trust. And so this, and again, these companies, Facebook is, is how we are interacting with our families. That's a big part of it. You know, I mean, I don't interact with my family via Google. Um, I get my information from Google, but with the, with these companies, it well, controls your events. I mean, it controls everything. So, you know, for those that haven't seen this documentary film we're talking about with Matthew Taylor, the title again is the creepy line and a deep dive into all the acts that are going on behind the scenes behind these, with these two companies, Google and Facebook. Now, I can say with 100% certainty that you can live a Facebook-free life. I have deleted my Facebook account. It's been several months now. And I do have extended family that is overseas. Uh, these are not like your typical overseas family members that you've never met in person. I've lived in Ireland. I've been very close to my family. And that was the chief way that... I communicated with them when I'm back here stateside is over Facebook. So it was a hard decision for me to make to delete my Facebook account because I knew that was going to cripple that communication with my family. But folks, I have to encourage you again and excuse me because I am going to get pretty passionate about this. We lived before Facebook. We had lives, we had families, we had friends. We picked up pens, we wrote letters, we sent postcards. You know, it wasn't the most convenient thing, but we did it. So ask yourself, how much is your data protection and data privacy actually worth, right? You know, Absolutely. And, you know if it's okay, if you're willing to, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're willing to assume the risk that everything that you do between these two organizations is up for sale, then absolutely stick to Facebook. I'm not going to judge you. Nobody will. But just know behind the scenes, you are being manipulated beyond belief. And if you don't believe me, watch Matthew's film. Give it the 90 minutes or however long. Figure it out for yourself and make an educated decision at least. Don't just sit here blindly and tell me, oh, I can't because my family, and you know, how am I going to? Bullshit. It's an excuse. You know, there's yeah, other, I mean... other ways to communicate, folks. We lived before these companies existed. And we lived well. You know, so... Don't use that as an excuse. Just know that that is a risk of staying on Facebook for all the reasons that we're talking about. Your day-to-day -day lives are up for sale, plain and simple. Absolutely. And I think it's very critical that parents protect their kids from these platforms. I think that we know that Facebook has done things to children. And I think that, you know, we, we also know that platforms, you know, because again, they're designed to feed you more of you in a weird way, right? They feed you more of what you want to see, but the things, but they let you see the things you want to see in a way that manipulates you. So it's, it's very easy also to become very isolated and to think that everyone in your friends group or whatever you see through your feed, everyone thinks that. And clearly we're having that these debates right bias. now. Confirmation bias. This whole thing we're having this discussion about about violence and, and schools and things like that, you know, these these people can get into these bubbles, and these companies are the ones that are supplying that information and and only letting certain things through. Because again, in our film, you know, we deal with we're dealing primarily with bias 
you know, um, we talk a little bit about censorship, which is, you know, there, there are other people who've actually done extensive things on censorship that are really good. And of course, privacy, you know, privacy is in some ways almost a dead issue at this point, you know, so, so we are now in this idea that like you can, you can, you can insulate yourself and once they get you isolated, well, then they can manipulate you any way they want. They can show you anything to get you to do anything. Um, and that is really our big issue. Our big issue is bias and manipulation. You know, if, look, here's the thing. If the companies would be more transparent, then it's, then look, at least you get the choice. At the end of the day, these platforms are designed to remove your free will, right? They're, they're designed, you know, they want you to, to, to manipulate you towards these things that benefit them. And they do, again, like I said, they do benefit you. You get some benefit but they get all the benefit and your benefit may be 5% and their benefit may be 95%. And some of the outcomes we're seeing now, um, whether it's where, whether it's depression, violence, um, you know, ex extremes, uh, these are things that have been cultivated by these companies. And frankly, they're not getting enough blame for the state of the world, you know, with, with these kinds of people that are radicalized or upset or, you know, anything. So I think it's really important that people clearly understand that these companies play a role in some of the chaos that's happening today, and they're not getting attention for that. You're right. So we are coming up on the uh, top of the hour here in about 10 minutes. Before I open it up for Q&A, is there any positivity, any you know, suggestions, any, any bright side to this that you can share with the audience? I mean, look, in, in, in many ways, you know, we, we have clearly your audience is dealing with cybersecurity and these things. So they have a very clear idea of threats. Uh, they, they know that it's not like yeah, Facebook and Google are a threat to, uh, to consumers and other things. But of course, you have international threats as well. China, Google working with China, things like that. I, I think that people need to start becoming aware. And, and I think you're right. They need to detach themselves from these platforms. They need to understand the bargain they are signing up with when they take that free email, uh, when they sign on. Because look, here's the deal. Ultimately, you know, it's, it's, we say in the film, it's totalitarian. The 20, dictators of the 20th century wanted to achieve this kind of control, but they did it with shock troopers and walls and tanks. Google and Facebook are achieving it, um, and you're signing up. So we need to stop signing up. We need to stop engaging with these platforms. We need to stop giving them data. There are, there are companies now that are coming out with devices that, that scramble trackers better. Uh, we need to start engaging. And it's a shame that we have to buy things to protect ourselves in our own homes, devices <laughs> and things like that. It, it's a real shame, right? Because that's, that's going to be a multi-billion dollar industry. Awareness is critical. Um, what happens next? It will be interesting to see what happens as these companies bring on these these cryptocurrencies because if Facebook does it, so will Amazon, another company we haven't even mentioned yet. Um, and then we will be in a different world because, you know, then we won't be using fiat currency. They'll be controlling the money that moves from bank to to seller and things like that. So awareness, separation, like I said, delete your Facebook. You know, um, that's and then hopefully, you know, lobby your your congressman and senator to do something. Because right now, the government is going to have to step up to engage because we are not big enough as consumers to do this. We're not even big enough to do it as, as all of us together. All it's right. going to have to be a massive effort on all fronts to prevent these companies from doing these bad things. I agree with you completely. Unfortunately, the one thing I, I just have little faith in is our elected officials. They, they just don't have the technical acumen to be able to understand this threat model. And uh, like you said earlier, you know, even if we could try to get someone to champion and, and sponsor a bill, whether if that be at the state or federal level, we we know the impact that Google has and how they're lining those pockets and what they're doing to counter anything that is consumer, you know, privacy protection enabling. We know they're going to come to the defense of their platforms and lobby against it. So it almost seems like we're fighting a losing battle here, but. 
didn't mean to you know put shade on your bright side but it looks like that's what i just did you're right you're you're 100 percent right i mean i think you know again we we, we have our, our elected officials are outgunned and outnumbered you know but again there are certain things look a regulatory response you cannot have google and facebook involved because they're always the first ones to come out and say hey we need a regulation they help write it to basically cut out their opponents and build themselves up so if you do that approach you cannot have them in the room helping write the bill yeah so in our world it's kind of like having a vendor <laughs> write the rfp you know request yeah. for a proposal <laughs> You know, exactly for for a company, you know, uh, uh, of course they're going to slant it in their favor, and that's what Google is doing. So they can't wait to regulate that, themselves. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, let's do this. Let's uh, try to end it on on a happier note there. So I'm going to go ahead. Let's take some questions from our live audience, and there's one that I see here in the chat, and actually it goes back to the Google or to the Amazon scenario, why are we not talking about Amazon as one of the other parties to this discussion about Google and Facebook? Why are they not seen as a threat as well? Well, for us, we, our particular focus was actually on, on um, manipulating the electorate. Can Google tip an election? That becomes, that's really the big primary thing of manipulation. So we didn't talk about Amazon and that kind. Amazon has a whole series that's literally its own film. I think, I think Amazon has, it's interesting because Amazon has a different business model than Google and Facebook. Yes. Google and Facebook clearly are selling you, they're manipulating you. Amazon quasi sits in that relationship but also they do actually sell things right so right. They, they have sell. a different set of bad things they do obviously you know people have criticized their you know the workers how you know the, the environments they work in some of their business practices you know i think with amazon what's scary about amazon is the fact that they are have gotten into food food production you know they bought whole foods but they are getting into the food chain so they are they are still in some ways restricted by market forces that Google and Facebook are not. Um, we may in fact do a film on them at some point, uh, but they, they their actual business model did not factor into the themes that we were looking at. Creepy, because again, a lot of people talk about privacy or censorship. We were looking at manipulation of 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 the electorate and undermining democracy, uh, which which Amazon didn't factor as much into that's why we don't talk about twitter as much either because twitter again twitter is a different kind of platform but look they have they deserve their criticism uh strongly and that's another one that that eventually you know will replace you know brick and mortar there i mean they, they, actually the weird thing they they have brick and mortar stores here in new york the four star stores but that is another one that is looking to replace infrastructure, like I say, 20th century infrastructure that we should be concerned about. Um, it just didn't factor into what our topic was for this film in particular. And that makes sense. Now, now that you put it into that perspective, I totally get it. Uh, I think Carol has a live question. Carol, are you there? Yep, had to hit that unmute button. Sorry, guys. So, so I just, you know, I'm sitting here listening to this and, we, you know, y'all have talked about the, the hashtag delete Facebook. Why does the creepy line have a Facebook? Well, here's, this is the issue. And we, we actually factored this into the film. The factor is that if you were to pull a product out of the market, they make it disappear. And so this is the issue. You know, I mean, it's funny, our website actually was built so that when you go to the website, it actually pulls up your location and shows it to you and says, look, this is what we do just by you visiting. That's just your public information. If we were a bad actor, we could do a lot more. So the fact of the matter is that you can't conduct a business in the movie industry without having these components. And so this is our, the devil's bargain that we're all part of. That's why I joked earlier that, yes, we had to use Google to make the film. You cannot conduct these businesses without it. You cannot show a movie without Amazon 
or iTunes or Netflix or any of these companies that we all are very much against. And, and the, it, the bad part about that is they do not let you have a company page without having a personal individual associated with it. So it's like you're forced as almost either to have your own Facebook page and just create the company or create a sock Facebook page and use Absolutely. that for the company. So, yeah, we get it. I mean, it. Every, uh, every other platform we use, we tried to say everything on Proton Mail and everything. Because again, it's one of those things where like Google did nuke us. Uh, they did go, they actually did blow us out. Um, but then they restored everything three hours later, you know? Um, but again, it's one of those things where like, if you search for the creepy line and it doesn't come up in Google and you search for it in Bing and it doesn't come up in Bing and you search it on Amazon, there's nothing on Amazon. You'll just never see the product. And that's unfortunately for us film people, we are trapped and I would prefer mm -hmm. not to be that way. Um, but it is that way. Yeah. And the film does go in more detail about how Google ultimately does control the internet and can censor and use their blacklist to basically root out any organization that they don't agree with. Unfortunately, we're at the top of the hour, folks. We're going to have to shut it down, but this has been such a great dialogue. Matthew, thank you so much, not only for thank coming for on the show and, and talking with our audience, but, but being an active participant in this battle in helping to protect and defend the data privacy and integrity of the individuals out there. You've had a tremendous impact on my life personally and what I'm doing with Excellent. my own data. I just want to amplify your message and help spread the word. So thank you for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. Thank you for watching and thank you for having me on the show. You know, and again, like, like, uh, like you say, and Jaron Lanier says, delete your accounts. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag delete Facebook. Hashtag, uh, delete, hashtag Facebook. delete Google. Work signed out if you have to go to, you know, YouTube for anything like that. Uh, there's ways around it, folks. So if you haven't already, I encourage every single listener go watch Matthew's film on Amazon or iTunes. Are there any other ways that they can get their hands on it? Uh, there's also DVDs on Amazon, but if you have Amazon Prime, you can watch it for free. Yep, there you go. No cost, full of information, and at least then you can make an educated choice whether or not you want to maintain your Facebook profile in existence, folks. Um, with that, Duncan Macklin, <clears throat> excuse me, I am losing my voice, folks. Uh, Infosec War on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook, but you can also find me on LinkedIn. Just uh, search for my name. Matthew, are there any ways that folks can get a hold of you if they have questions or just want to give you some feedback? Uh, they can go to www.thecreepyline.com. Uh, you can, of course, you know, unfortunately, find us on Facebook of all places. Um, and you can ask us questions. If you go to our, here, here's another one for you. If you go to our YouTube, which they allowed to stay up, so I have to give Google credit there. Um, we have an additional 35 or 40 minutes of other content that talks about topics that are not in the film, such as cryptocurrency, children on the internet, you know, all sorts of other topics that I think are really important that didn't, maybe even some, I think some Amazon stuff on there that didn't thematically fit into the film. So cool. So yeah, there's a whole bunch it. of extra material. Yeah. There's a whole ton of extra clips to talk about the FTC investigation and a whole bunch of other things. So you can find them on our, on the creepy line YouTube page. We wanted to use Vimeo, but no one uses Vimeo. So, <laughs> <laughs> well. Uh, yeah, Google, once again, probably 90% share, if not more of the whole video sharing Absolutely. platform. Um, so Matthew, just quick question. Have you watched the great hack? I have, awesome. I have I've so, watched it. I, I made commentary on it and, uh, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting topic. Yeah. So listeners next week. David Carroll, who is one of the main uh, featured individuals in The Great Hack, 
he will be on uh, the show following up on today's discussion and data privacy and protection. Mr. Carroll was a, a true advocate and warrior, actually fought to get his data back after the Facebook and Cambridge Analytica scandal hit. Uh, so he was not a passive participant in the class action lawsuit. He was an active uh, promoter of data privacy and protection and fought his way in the UK to get his data back and ultimately uh, did win that court case. We're going to bring him on the show and talk about everything that went down with the Cambridge Analytica scandal and again, why Facebook is the evil corp that I think it is. And I welcome everyone to join in the discussion. We're going to have Mr. David Carroll on as our next special guest co-host. Matthew, one more time, thank you so much for everything that you're doing. We do appreciate you, sir. Thank you so much, and likewise. And with that, we are out, folks. I'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Cyber Speaks Live. Remember to visit our blog at cyberspeaks.com to sign up for our newsletter of upcoming episodes and special guest co-hosts. If you'd like to be a guest co-host or sponsor the show, please email us at speakup at cyberspeaks.com. That's all for this week. And as always, stay safe and secure out there.